powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. It's the noon hour. Michael Bumpus, Curtis Rogers, joined by now the man, Mr. B.G. Brandon Gustafson of Seattle Sports. What up, man? What's up? How we doing? You know, we're out here just doing what, what guys do. Talking some sports. <laughs> just and guys boy, being oh, dudes boy, yeah, here, right? Right? Yeah. Dudes being yeah, dudes. Okay. All we're missing are adult beverages. And, and, <laughs> and it'd be a podcast, but this does turn into a podcast <laughs> an hour after the show. So y'all That's go right. ahead and download that. Seattlesports.com. Seattlesports.com. There it is. There it is. All right, but BG, man, we're here to talk some baseball. Now, um, I'm not sure if the guys in the morning show got to it, but uh, Brash, man. Um, how crucial is losing this guy? Um, and do you think, or did you see this coming? 78 appearances last year. Right. Uh, they threw the heck out of this guy. He throws some nasty stuff. Um, what are your thoughts concerning that, that whole situation? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a lot of wear and tear. And a lot of times when you're, when you're talking pitchers and whatnot, you, you know, it, it, it's some point it doesn't matter, but at some point it doesn't. It's just the body. Brash isn't a huge guy. He's six one. He's about 175, 180. So that's a lot of wear and tear on top of just how hard he throws. He's a full like effort guy. Some guys look a little more effortless, but I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he's full effort, full tilt all the time. So, you know, in some ways it's not surprising in some ways it is because he has been really durable since making his big league debut and hasn't really had any of these issues and whatnot, especially uh, becoming a reliever. But yeah, I mean, if, if he's out for the whole season, any considerable amount of time, that's a big deal. And I think it puts pressure on two guys in particular and they're two new guys that they traded for. Carlos Vargas is a guy that was kind of going to be, Hey, let's watch this guy in camp. The stuff's huge, but he's always had really bad command of the baseball in terms of walks and hits hit by pitch and whatnot. I made his debut last year. He's a younger guy. Um, now he might have to be a guy right away. And then the other guys, Gregory Santos, who was already going to be probably one of those top three, four guys for them in the back end of the bullpen. They got him from Chicago. Now you're looking at that guy as kind of a clear number two right behind Munoz if Brash is out for any considerable amount of time. You look at last year's World Series champion, the Texas Rangers, their bullpen was not good at all at any point <laughs> during the season. We've seen it too with the Nationals uh, in 2019. Their bullpen was terrible. And yet they won the World Series too. And I wonder... Brandon, we talked about this a little bit, Bump and I did yesterday, where should the Mariners look in in a classic sense and fill out their bullpen with like going out and getting another bullpen arm or maybe improving the whole thing by getting a bat to ease the uh, workload of your bullpen or get a starting pitcher that's going to go seven innings to ease the workload of your bullpen. How would you address this if Brash is going to be out for an extension? Yeah, I mean, there's layers to it. I I think rotation-wise, they're set up pretty well. They, I, I know people talk about like, oh, starting pitchers don't go as deep as they normally do, but Mariners had three of the top 10 guys in innings last year uh, with, with Castillo and Kirby and Logan Gilbert. And those are three guys that are proven to be pretty durable dudes once they're in there. So rotation wise, I mean, I, I don't really see them doing anything. I know everybody would loves the idea of like a Blake Snell here since he's a local guy, two times Cy Young award winner. But you look at Blake, that's a five inning guy. It's going to be five really good innings, but there's going to be a lot of walks and working around batters and stuff. And he, he's going to be at 90 to 100 pitches by the time five innings is usually done. So 
you know, improving the lineup, there's just there's not a lot out there right now. Obviously, Matt Chapman's the name we talk about. I think I've told you guys about it. I'm not super high on Chapman for this lineup in particular. I think if it was a situation where they maybe wouldn't be relying on this guy to be more of a middle of the order or fringe middle of the order type bat, like, sure, he, if he was like the missing piece, I don't think that he is that. And I think that based on his market, if he's going to take a shorter term deal, if you're a hitter, you don't want to go to Seattle on a shorter term deal. You want to go almost anywhere else. So looking at the bullpen, I mean, if Brash is out, you do probably have to make a move. I know they feel good about some of these diamond in the rough guys that they have, but like Ryan Stanek, who was with the Astros recently and has been with Miami and Tampa and it's just a proven hard throwing guy back in reliever type, you know, not the best year last year, but not bad. And he has that kind of back end experience. You know, that'd be someone that maybe I'd be taking a look at if it looks like that Brash is going to be out for a bit. I'm all for versatility, utility guys. I'm a Sam Haggerty fan, right? Put him in. <laughs> he played center the other day. You know what I mean? You move him around. Right. But then I'm also about stability too, man. And um, I love that Ty France has put in the work, uh, trimmed some LBs, looking faster, versatile. And we're hearing whispers of him possibly playing over there at third base. And uh, Curtis and I, I guess we're like, all right, if you have to, but we prefer he stay at first. What do you think about that situation? I mean, I, I think that in kind of, hearing and reading a little bit about what that actually was it sounds like that was more of just hey let's do some work at third base to just work on ground ball angles and and early this time of year I mean I remember not that it worked out obviously but like Jesse Winker had a first baseman's glove at one point when he was in camp with the Mariners and obviously he was left field DH exclusively early in the year with some of these guys it, it, it doesn't really matter I know France has he came up as a third baseman he's their first baseman I don't see him doing anything else but I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like, man, if you're really down to it, yeah, sure, this guy can go play third base in a pinch, but I, I don't see him playing anything else unless he just gets a DH day every now and then. Maybe that first baseman glove would have done Jesse Winker better than the left field one. Hey, oh, hey, hey. hey. That was a yeah. <laughs> tough watch, to say the least. Absolutely. Uh, one guy who is a, a great watch is center fielder Julio Rodriguez, who was on with Brock and Salk this morning. Also, Anything jump out to you from what Julio had to say? We were really focusing in on uh, just kind of the importance of getting off to a hot start because that's something that Julio and also the Mariners have not really gotten off to in his two years in the big leagues. Right. I, I think that's a, that's obviously a big deal. And, and going back to kind of some of the bullpen talk, I mean, when you're kind of struggling in April and May and every game in September is do or die, then yeah, you need to throw your leverage guys all the time. And then those are those issues that carry over into the next season. But um, with, with Julio, it, I thought the thing that was kind of interesting and service kind of hit on it the other day too, was that it's not just that he's so focused, but you know, outside of baseball, it seems like he's kind of shrunk his circle a little bit. He was basically saying like, yeah, I had to learn to tell people to say no. I had to learn like which people were willing to kind of look at things from my perspective because, and, and he kind of said, it's like people assume I just show up to the ballpark and I go play baseball, but there's so much work that goes into it. I mean, those guys are at the park for such long hours. It's 162 game season. You're on the road regularly. There's all these different things you have to do to prepare for games, prepare for pitchers, you know, get your body right. Um, and him kind of having to, I think, realize like what comes with superstardom and how to prioritize his time. 
he made it really clear that that's something that he learned a lot last year. And yeah, I mean, going forward, he's only 23 years old. I mean, if we assume that he's going to be at least as good as he's been the last two years for the remainder of his career, like, yeah, that's a guy who's going to be having a lot of attention and eyeballs on him. And it's going to have people that are going to, you know, want pieces of him, so to speak. And I, I think that the earlier he understands that, it seems like he learned that lesson a little bit last year. Maybe it's sometimes in a little bit of a harder way, but it's obviously a good lesson for him that he's going to have to learn eventually. That's no joke about people not realizing how much work gets put in. We'll yeah. do shows from T-Mobile. We'll be done at 2. Right. And guys are showing up for a 7 o'clock game right. at 2 o'clock. Yeah, man. it's ridiculous. I I, I've, I mean, I when I go down there to, to cover games, I don't get to do it every home game, but I do it quite a bit. And you go for these late games. Like, It's not just like how many hours they put in. It's the intensity of it. The, this team, more so than others that are, that are in T-Mobile at the same amount of time, they put in so much extra work with their infield stuff. I mean, you see a line of guys with Perry Hill just working on short hops. You see the outfield just going out there working on routes and things like that. You see guys taking their early BP in addition to cage work, in addition to the actual on-field BP. Like, it, it's a team that over the last few years in particular, you've really seen that kind of emphasis early in in the day. And, yeah, you're right, Bum. It, it's, it's ridiculous. It's long hours. I mean, these guys are showing up to get treatment even before they're doing that stuff. I mean, they're at the mm-hmm. park 10-plus hours a day a lot of the time. Yeah, we've seen uh, Sam Haggerty running stairs at like for a for a six forty first pitch. Right. He's out there at like <laughs> noon. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I mean, hat tip to you for putting in the work, right. but like, wow, that's yeah, it's a lot. That's intensity for sure. Uh, Brandon Mariners have had a handful of spring training games. Any performances that you've seen or heard that have stood out to you so far? You guys know I'm a prospect guy. Like I, <laughs> boy, are you? I love talking <laughs> prospects and like even from just the day they drafted him to now I've been so on board the Tyler Locklear train big big first baseman he played third base in college he's a first baseman DH type the dude just rakes and it was I think it was Saturday he went three for three with a double I mean we, we've talked so much about Ty France and his importance to this team and we talk about driveline and a, a lot of us kind of assume like well you know JP lived at driveline last offseason and then he had this monster year I mean France did basically the same thing France is of course gonna have this bounce back here you know that's not a given and every player is different and maybe something like that doesn't work for Ty France and if it doesn't and the Mariners need a jolt or they they decide like hey we need somebody else at first base because we don't have anybody else on the big league roster that we're looking at Locklear is one of those few dudes I think that's actually kind of close to reaching the big leagues this year. He reached double A. Um, he had a big year in high A. Slow start in double A, but kind of picked it up late in the year. Played some in the fall league a little bit too. So he he's a guy that I think could absolutely come and improve this team at some point this year or next year and could be a long-term middle-of-the-order type bat for him. Last time we heard uh, DePoto speak, um, people weren't really excited about what he had to say. What was your feeling of the conversation um, this morning he had with the morning show? Do you, you feel a bit better about what's going on, or or was that conversation just um, easier to listen to because of the circumstance? You're in spring training. <laughs> right. You got actual baseball to talk about. Yeah, I mean, you're actually physically seeing these dudes. I mean, it, it, you can you've been able to watch and listen to a bunch of these games so far this year, and you're putting you're putting names out there. You're seeing like, oh man, like that's Luke Rayleigh or oh, Mitch Haniger's back and he had a home run in his first at bat. I like 
the the saying is hope springs eternal in spring training mm-hmm. for for the Mariners for a lot of these teams that that are expecting to contend this year. Um, I think one of the things that caught my eye and obviously caught a lot of people's eye is it sounds like they're totally fine at third base and that's Luis Arias. It, it's uh, it's Josh Rojas who played exclusively second base for the Mariners last year, but has played third base in the past. So we'll see how that goes. Platoons, you know, I, some people think hey, if you have a platoon, that means you don't have anybody at that spot. I don't necessarily agree with that because matchups are so important, but you know, Rojas was about a league average bat for the Mariners last year and Reyes played 52 games and was really bad between two teams. But two years ago was, you know, three, four win type player in Milwaukee. So you can see why they like the guys they have, but also going back to the Matt Brash conversation with someone like Luis Arias, they traded Isaiah Campbell, who was, yeah, you know, he was a middle reliever type guy, but he was a young guy. He was a rookie. He, you don't know what he could have ultimately been. He had some really good moments for you. So if Arias is hurt or struggles and Ch- and Campbell goes out in Boston and plays pretty well, then that loss of Prash could uh, be kind of exemplified there. What do you think is more likely to happen? Uh, Julio wins MVP or George Kirby wins Cy Young? I think that with Shohei out of the AL, it's probably Julio <laughs> winning MVP. I mean, the fact that that guy says 23 was like a down year, and I learned so much and had these ups and downs. And <laughs> he was like a five-win player. He was yeah. a five-plus win player. He was an all-star again. He was fourth in MVP voting. It's just, you know, it, it's ridiculous. I think that I think the pool of, like, top-end pitchers in the American League it, that could be Cy Young contenders, and obviously health is so important for all of that, is maybe a little deeper. I feel like the NL, just from a bats perspective, probably has a little bit more star power. Um, but, you know, if you're looking at the the top AL MVP guys, you know, you'd look at Julio, you'd look at Alvarez and Tucker in Houston, Judge and Soto in New York, and then the Texas guys, Simeon and Seager, and, and maybe Adley Rutschman in Baltimore. It's a little deeper in the National League and I think on the pitching side for the American League, too. So, yeah, I mean, if I was going to bet on either of those, I'd probably put my money down on Julio winning MVP. Now, uh, BG, I don't know if you know this, but I'm not as much of a prospect guy as you. Believe it or not. <laughs> what? Okay. No. But two names I keep hearing, uh, Young and Bliss. Okay. Tell me about those guys. Yeah, so Cole Young was their first-round pick in the 22 draft. And, uh, you know, middle infielder, contact over overpower guy. But he's gotten a little bit bigger. And I think that... When they drafted him, I think the idea for a lot of people was it was maybe more of a floor over projection type guy. Like, hey, we just feel really solid that this is just going to be a a big league bat. And he's going to play second base probably, and he's just going to be a a solid player. But I think last year he he showed a lot more than that. He's kind of risen up top prospect rankings. He he hit everywhere he goes. I think that he's one of those guys that – you know, he didn't reach double A like a Locklear, but the fact that they're kind of being paired together when Locklear was a college guy and Cole Young was a high school guy and they were picked back to back with each other in that 22 draft definitely shows just how high they are on him in that organization. Um, Ryan Bliss, part of the Seawall trade, and it's one of those things where I think that when you looked at the Seawall trade initially, it was like the Dom Canzone trade for the Mariners because Canzone was the first guy. You know, Rojas was there, but Canzone was the younger guy, but. It could ultimately be the bliss trade and, you know, Jorge Polanco, he's under contract for two more years, but maybe he's not a long-term fit. Maybe both those guys at third base fizzle out. Polanco has that experience at third base. Maybe he goes there and bliss is the first guy up at second base, but he's a, you know, he's a shorter guy. I think he's five, six, five, seven, but he can fly. He stole a bunch of bases last year. I think he has a little more pop than people give him credit for. Definitely an intriguing guy. Uh, he's, he's not going to debut right away, but he's probably one kind of like Locklear, one of those first guys that'll, that'll be up if they end up getting some rookie reinforcements this year on the hitting side. Last one from me, Brandon. Uh, you look at just 
all the veteran leaders that have left this team over the last couple of years, like Robbie Ray, Marco Gonzalez, Paul Seawald, uh, it kind of is, is interesting to see the the younger guys kind of step into that leadership role. Like Cal Raleigh, for example, has become a lot more vocal than he was uh, when he first came up in the bigs. J.P. Crawford, the same. Like, where do you think uh, – what do you make of the leadership in this clubhouse right now amongst the players? Because it does feel like, you know, with all the change from like the 22 and 23 rosters to what 24 is now, I mean, a lot of those clubhouse leaders are gone, but it does feel like guys are now, you know, being like, I'll step into that. Role. Yeah. I, I don't think that the moves were made to do this, but it does feel like the, the younger guys are definitely empowered to take those over. And I think that that's kind of been because the Mariners over the last few years, even when they've been contending have been willing to give those young guys full looks and opportunities. Um, I think it's a good mix of, of some young leaders, some guys that have been there. And obviously you bring in guys like Garver and Polanco and you bring Hanniger back. Like those are three guys that have a ton of big league experience have been in the, in the league for a long time. Garver in particular, you know, he's a cat. He's a DH now, but he was a catcher. Like there's a natural leadership aspect that comes from that. Not everybody takes it to like the captain like qualities that a Cal Raleigh does, but there's a lot of ownership that comes with that role. So, you know, I think that those kind of veteran guys mixed with those young guys like JP, like Cal, you hear that Julio's a leader in a different way. You know, he'll, he'll step up and be kind of a rah-rah guy, but also I, he's one of those guys that leads by example because he's just relentless <laughs> with, with his work. So it, it's, it's a cool dynamic. I think last year too, they were a little bit younger at the start of last year than they were at this point this year. And I think that's one of those things that they, they were lacking a little bit was kind of that veteran stabilizing presence, not just to kind of show the way and maybe say the right thing, but also those veteran guys are typically a little more consistent at the plate at the beginning last year. A lot of those young guys, Julio Cal included got off to pretty slow starts and they, I think that just added that extra pressure to them to try and swing out of it and get it right. Like, Hey, I got to be the guy having a little more veteran stabilizing presence in that lineup definitely is going to help him in that sense too. He is Brandon Gustafson of Seattle Sports and SeattleSports.com. What you got coming up, man? Yeah, man. Uh, some more stuff from DePoto. Again, prospect talk. I'm all over it. So I loved what Jerry had to say about those guys today. But John Schneider show, 2 o'clock live from the Combine right. with Dave and Bob. That's going to be a big deal. So we're going to be having a lot of stuff about that on SeattleSports.com later this afternoon. There it is, BG. Appreciate you, bro. Yeah, thanks, guys. thanks, Brandon. All right, man. He's BG. Always blessing us with that knowledge that he has. Man, check out his work, man. Good dude. Good writer. Good everything. All right, let's get into headline rewrites. Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. Curtis the Cougs look to keep pace in the Pac-12 title chase tonight against USC. But what is the real headline? Real headline: Just so Bronny is aware, Pullman is a long way away from Beverly Hills. Long way. Long way. It's the rolling hills of the Palouse, <laughs> not the Beverly Hills. I looked at the forecast for Pullman tonight. I think it's supposed to be in like the 40s, but it's a rain-snow mix. Uh, they don't get that in Los Angeles. <laughs> nah. uh, these these Trojans are going to be very cold stepping off their bus tonight. But I think the Cougs are going to get right against USC. It's interesting. You look at where these teams are compared to where they were in the preseason and where like a lot of uh, prognosticators have them. A lot of people had USC as one of the conference favorites. They're 11th in the Pac-12 right now. And a lot of people have the Cougs as, you know, one of the, the cellar dwellers. They were projected to finish 10th. Right now, they're only a game back of Arizona uh, and could gain a half game on them, make it still a half game. 
uh, difference between the two. So, yeah, this Cougs team has been uh, they they've been such a fun story outside of the Arizona game for me at least personally. <laughs> Arizona games actually because they swept us, but you, you, you still got a a game on us though. So, that's true. You know, yeah, it could be only a half game though after tonight. I expect it to only be a half game. I think I think the Cougs get this one. We won the battle, but the war is far from over. It's true. We got a, we got a long way to go. March Madness isn't for another three weeks. That's crazy. Four weeks. There we go. Let's get it. Next headline. Headline rewrites. Jerry DePolo says there's always a chance Ty France could see some time at third base this season. What's the real headline? Real headline is this. If only there were a multi-time gold glove winner available for pickup. Right? Yeah. There's a guy if out that there. existed, I mean, sure, they'd probably be interested. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, we just listened to BG. BG's not high on Chapman for this lineup, but he understands what he could bring defensively. Me personally, I'm still on the Chapman train saying, like, come on, man, let's go get it. I just want this team to be as sound as possible. And when I see the possibilities of adding Chapman, that's the feeling that I get. Yeah, and it takes away a... a an area of randomness like it takes away uh, a variance that could either you know tank things early on or or who knows how this might persist it kind of reminds me of like second base last year after Colton Wong was so awful for you where you were kind of in this weird spot of like Sam Haggerty Dylan Moore Josh Rojas was getting innings at the end of the season and it's like man if you had just had this figured out from the start and and not had waited so long because that was the thing that tanked him last year too it's like they kept running Colton Wong out there in May in June in July Mm -hmm. and it was like what are we doing here like this guy has already shown his worth I'm not saying that like Arias or Rojas are going to be that for the Mariners at third base but why risk it with question marks from those guys when you can go out and get somebody who you know is going to be an amazing fielder I really don't care about Matt Chapman's bat. He could hit 210 with 20 home runs. I would be fine with mm-hmm. that. But if you can get somebody to play gold glove defense every single day, sign me up for that. I don't like questions. I like answers. There we go. Chapman's an answer. There we go. Headline rewrites. In a stunning development, Duke star Kyle Filipowski didn't miss any time after he was injured during a court storming situation last week against Wake Forest. What's the real headline? Real headline, we can call off the National Guard now. Chill. Everything's fine. Okay. He made it. Put the gun down. (laughs) (laughs) Jay Billis. Oh, man. Trying to arrest these college students. Everybody should be in jail for storming the court. No. No. If, no. if this were at even a place like Wichita State, nobody, it, oh, is he okay? Okay, let's move on. But yeah. no, it's Duke. You got your Dukies out there. Yes. You know, Jay Will has a voice. You know why I didn't hear the same thing about it or anything mm-hmm. negative was J.J. Redick, and he has a strong, True. strong opinion about things. I feel like J.J.'s kind of like turned his back on the college game. It's like, <laughs> oh, like, the money, the real money is talking about NBA basketball. Uh, yeah, I think – is there a way to make sure that it's less chaotic? Yeah, like maybe give the visiting team 30 seconds to get off the court to avoid situations like this, but to say like, oh, we need to penalize, we need to make make it a forfeit, we need to uh, you know, find these schools. No, you don't. You don't no. need to do that. Just make sure that it's a little more orderly, not as chaotic. 
and everybody will be fine. The the most logical thing I've I've heard, in my opinion, with this whole situation is, you know that the the court is going to be stormed. Just secure the visiting team, yeah. right? Uh, secure the visiting team, and you should be fine. I've I've stormed the court before. Have you stormed the court in Arizona? I am no, not. You guys are always. Exactly. Oh my bad, my bad, my bad. I, you exactly. guys are always the top dogs. That's one my of my. <laughs> that's one of my regrets about college is that I never got the opportunity to storm the court. Like it never happened. Um, I've been to Arizona road games. I feel the, so sorry for you. No, Curtis. it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I've I've been to Arizona road games where the court has been stormed. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a game against Oregon at Matthew Knight Arena. I want to say in 2014. And then the other time it was at heck ed when I think it was Dominic green hit the buzzer beating three over Deandre Ayton in the 2017 season. So I've seen it happen twice, both times. It's weird. Cause I'm there as a visitor and I, everybody around <laughs> me is running towards the court. I'm just standing there, just standing there. Like, <laughs> I hate this. I hate, I hate this. this well, you know what? Hey, good for you though. Yeah, yeah you, you've rooted for some top dogs. <laughs> All right, that was headline rewrites. So when we come back, we'll get into the NFL NFL headlines. There might be a snitch in the league, and the Bucks are responding to the NFL PA survey. That's next. Curtis Rogers, Michael Bumpus. This is the Bump and Stacy Show. Bump and Stacy. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. And for Stacey Ross today, let's get into NFL headlines. The first one, this is interesting. Some Jets players think McCole Harmon leaked their game plan against the Eagles and the Chiefs. You a snitch? You can't be snitching, you McCole they, Harmon. You know they get Stitches. That's right. Dang, snitches. Man, uh, I, go ahead, go ahead. You got it, Curtis. What's funny about this is that the Jets nearly beat the Chiefs. Uh, 23-20. I think that was like Zach Wilson's best game he played this season where, yeah, he went 28-39, 245, two touchdowns, quarterback rating of 105.2. And then they beat the Eagles 20-14 on October 15th, just two weeks after the fact. So the two (laughs) best, like two of the best performances the Jets had this season may have been games that Meikle Hardman was feeding other teams information. So it might not even matter. Line them up. You got to line up. I, I thought about this, and um, you know what? I got three kids, and um, there are times where, you know, we'll, the wife and I will leave the house and we'll say, man, don't don't you guys get on those video games. Then I'll come back, and one of my kids are like, Dad, so-and-so was on the video game. I go, why are you snitching? Y'all supposed to have each other's backs, <laughs> man. Don't be snitching because you don't like a certain situation. That's what I thought about with McCall Harmon. Like, come on, man. They didn't want you over there with the Chiefs. You aren't performing over here with the Jets. You're disgruntled, so now you're going to try to have your team fail in the worst mm-hmm. way, right? Zach Wilson's fighting for his life for a job over there. You got Nathaniel Hackett. He needs these wins, okay? You got uh, Sauce Garner. He's a baller out there. It's just you don't turn your back on your teammates. Forget the organization. It's about the guys in that locker room, and that's disappointing. Yeah, that was uh... – that whole Jets team was so dysfunctional this year. Like they had no direction. I feel bad too because like Robert Sala seems like a good guy, but the whole circus that came to town with Aaron Rodgers, you could tell that he was not prepared for that. Um, yeah, I think what Sauce Gardner tweeted something at me, Cole Hardman yesterday, basically just calling what he had to say 
recap and uh, yeah, it was just it was really really dysfunctional in New York. Man. And uh, you know what? I hope they get I hope they're back on Hard Knocks again this year because <laughs> they're still so. eligible. They missed the playoffs again. Man, back to back years that'd be interesting. All right. The Bucks, they say they will listen. Ooh, my bad. My bad, coach. False start on the offense. Five-yard penalty. Replay first down. Let's go. All right. Um, Bucks say they will listen to feedback from the NFL PA survey. Players describe locker rooms as smelly. Players were charged for daycare on game days. Jeez. Their sauna was small. Oh, no. And bugs were reported in their showers. They also said they had to pay about $1,700 before the season started if they wanted their own room on the road. Now, $1,700 might not be a lot to these dudes, but the fact that they have to do it is crazy to me. But good job on the Bucks for saying, look, we're going to listen to the feedback and make some changes. Yeah, I mean, it, the I think the most shocking thing from the NFLPA survey every year is how teams nickel and dime their players. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's something I never thought of before the survey was out there before or, uh, last season where you saw the Cardinals charging their players to use the facilities outside of the season yeah. and to eat. Yeah. You don't want your players getting better. Crazy. Like you, you want them to pay in order to use the gym. Like that makes no sense to me. Um, good to see a team like the Bucks say we are going to take these results and we are going to work on them and we're going to get better. Uh, and hopefully, you know, there's just uh, some more good that comes from this across the NFL. Yeah, I hope so, man. I hope these guys um, get the feedback. I, the, the Chiefs were ranked one of the worst, not the worst franchise in NFL when it comes to locker rooms and facilities and all that good stuff. And uh, I hope they're listening and making a change because you're winning games and your facilities do not match your play on the field is ridiculous to me. All right, next up, NFL headlines. We got 49ers GM John Lynch says they're looking to get an extension done with wide receivers Brandon Ayuk and Jawan Jennings. Ayuk made it clear he wants money or he wants out. I think if I'm John Lynch, I give him the money because he is a really, really good wide receiver, which, you know, pains us here in Seattle to say you don't Mm -hmm. want to see the 49ers sustain this Um, but Lynch said yesterday when speaking at the combine quote he served us very well as a franchise and I think we've got a nice track record of extending the players that are important to us Brandon is someone we want to keep around for a long time Ayuk was he did he himself say it or it was like his wife his and wife his and like his friend. best friend or something they like were that like, well i guess this is the end of us in, in san francisco even though he still has his fifth year option that can be picked up and what's crazy to me is that he balled out this year he was an all pro he's probably the best receiver in the division other than uh puka nakua honestly uh, so it was more frustration on his use in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl. Uh, but things happen, man. He, he had a good year. So uh, just quiet your camp down a little bit. And uh, for Se- Seattle's sake, I hope you go far, far away from here and you get out the division. <laughs> go to the go to a different conference. Go to the AFC so we don't have to deal with you again because this guy's a problem. NFL Network's Bucky Brooks has a uh, mock draft out. And you know who he has? The Seahawks picking at 16 
tight end Brock Ooh. Bowers. Now, I mentioned this last week that if he's available, you go for it. If you're going offense, uh, some people call me crazy. He won't be available by then. You never know. He might be available. Um, I really like this. Now, I really like this if you pick up a linebacker in free agency and if you feel and if you get Leonard Williams on that defensive line so you don't feel like you got some gaps or maybe you grab a safety somewhere, I like Brock Bowers. My man can play. It would be one of the most intriguing picks the Seahawks have really ever made because you take a tight end like that, you bring him in as a pass catcher, I think, first, then see what he can do as a blocker. And I think a lot of people might get scared off because of Jimmy Graham and and how that Mm -hmm. situation played out here in Seattle. But that was also a different coaching staff. That was a different offensive coordinator. That was a different head coach. That was a different time uh, in the NFL, really. I mean, before it, it was around the time where passing was starting to explode around the NFL and the Seahawks were never going to be one of those teams. They had this Ferrari and only drove it the speed limit. <laughs> that's that's what it was. Uh, Not even five over. No, they were going. All right, we're just going to go thirty-five miles an hour around town in my in my Lamborghini here. Um, Bowers is an interesting one. I was listening to Daniel Jeremiah, who was on. I think it was a podcast or a radio interview that he had done recently. Um, and he was talking about the value of taking tight ends in the first round and how he thinks that unless it's somebody that is like truly a game-changing tight end, that he would wait to take a tight end in the second and third and fourth rounds because the you're going to be ending up paying a tight end probably around $8 million mm-hmm. in the first round if you take him, especially higher up in the draft. Whereas the franchise tag for a tight end, I think it's only like 12-something. Like mm-hmm. It's not a lot. Mm-hmm. So the difference between the rookie wage scale and the top of the market for tight ends is I think the smallest uh, disparity of any position on the field. So that's why he would stay away from tight ends in the first round. I thought it was very interesting. I'd never really thought of it before because, I mean, you look at guys with these kinds of crazy skill sets and you see tight ends like Gronk and and Travis Kelsey and how they can impact the game. It's like, I want one of those. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't care where it is, but I thought it was something something to chew on. Too logical for me. Good Bowers. <laughs> He's available. Uh, defensive linemen and linebackers are kicking off the festivities at the combine. I've watched a few of these guys run. Uh, Tavondre Sweat, who I was looking forward to watching, he ran a 4-5-1, but he's 365 pounds. I think that's top four all-time of guys around his weight. All right, more to do when we get back to the Bump and Stacy show. Man, you got Curtis Rogers filling in. Bump and Stacy. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios on Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Curtis Rogers doing a great job filling in for Stacy Ross like he normally does. I'm Michael Bumpus, and this is the Bump and Stacy Show. Um, earlier we uh we reacted to some sound from Depoto. Didn't get didn't get to all of them, so now we shall do that, Curtis. And um, this one I'm happy about this first sound because. We were hoping that moves were going to be made, and our question was, at, at what cost for these Mariners? Who, you, who are you going to give up to make these moves? And uh, they were able to keep Miller and Wu. Here's the photo. 
thrilled, you know. And I would add to that, you know, Emerson Hancock, who I'm certain that someone has said it to you guys so far, Mm -hmm. looks fabulous this spring and just a little different version of Emerson. But the pitching is what we've been about. You know, we said when when we spoke in January, we're going to lean into doing what we do. And and this is what we do. And, And I think it's our personality. It suits our ballpark. And, you know, I'm really glad that those guys are here. A lot of times when you go through those conversations, you know, something might pique your interest and then you think but you know the void that it leaves and the thing that we know we do best is just too big to to embrace miller Wu, and i'm glad he threw hancock in there as well because that's what those prospects are for for mm-hmm. the most part right trade bait see if you can uh some, get some talent out of that but they were able to get polanco and 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 luke and still keep these guys how important was that very important, especially knowing what we know now with the Mariners getting rid of Robbie Ray and Marco Gonzalez, two guys who I think everybody kind of assumed would be back in 2024. Uh, and now all of a sudden those guys aren't there. So Miller and Wu just kind of take over the spots that they assumed last year when both of those guys went down. Um, yeah, I think knowing that they're going to be staples of your rotation this season getting rid of them would not have been the right move to make unless you were getting back something of incredible value, maybe a starting pitcher that you could slot in that rotation or, uh, you know, an everyday bat. But I think the Mariners holding and, and not, you know, relenting on their desire to keep Bryce Miller and Brian Wu is the best thing right now for the 2024 Mariners. Love the depth. Um, we heard the puddles speak on the depth when it comes to, uh, you know, the infield and the outfield, but I uh, didn't get to hear about the pitching depth um, until here, man. You keep Wolf, you keep Miller, you keep Hancock. You're still able to do what you do best, best, which is develop these young arms, man. And service did something that isn't out of the norm, but uh, something we didn't expect from him. Ever since COVID kind of shut things down, he said he wasn't able to go out and visit the guys that he wants to visit like he normally does. Went to the Dominican, visited Castillo, went to Florida, hollered at Julio, then drove down to Kenton Driveline and um, hollered at Ty France and JP. Here are the puddles thoughts on all that. The idea of just establishing communication, being, you know, Having intimate relationships with your players, developing that trust. And, you know, at the end of the day, you will not help anyone get better if they don't trust you. They got to trust. Got to trust, right? Especially with with moves being made, especially when you get rid of uh, Gino, no tail, uh, the year before that, or you get uh, Paul Seawalls out of there, Graveman a couple years ago. It's important for service to look these guys in the eye, have a cup of coffee or whatnot, and say, look, here's what we're doing. Everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And I think. Scott Service has definitely earned the trust of his players. I can't see why uh, players on this team would distrust him in terms of just kind of the overall uh, messaging that's out there, the overall goal of this team. I I get that a lot of players would probably look at Service as an extension of the front office because, you know, managers in 2024 are not necessarily left to their own devices so much as they used to be in like the 80s and 90s where it was kind of like, you know, the GM puts the roster together and then it's it's up to the manager to make all the decisions. Mm-hmm. Now it's like every decision comes from the top down. Um, but I think Service built up a lot of equity with his guys this offseason by doing all the things that he did to uh, keep them informed and keep them, uh, you know, 
locked in and, and you know, going to the Dominican Republic to visit Julio and, and going down to Florida to visit Logan Gilbert and just going everywhere to, to find these guys that are the leaders of your clubhouse and, and keep them abreast of the situation. It's like, yeah, like that's what you want to see out of your manager. That's what you want to see out of a guy that, uh, you know, is, is pulling the strings, so to speak, because that's who's going to lead this ball club uh, when when moments are tight. That's who the players are going to look to is you, the, the skipper. And so being able to uh, tighten those bonds a little bit, I think that was a tremendous move on, on Scott Service's part. Made it a safe place. Yeah. Safe place. Holla yeah. at me. Tell me what you think. I, and I wish, man, it would be so cool to be – there during those conversations and just see how service communicates with these guys because it's not uptight. It's not buttoned up. When you are in their environment, you make them comfortable. Now you and I have been talking about the situation at third base and how there's Chapman out there. You should probably go holler at him. If you're thinking about moving Ty France over there from time to time, but uh DePoto says he likes their situation at third. I like our situation at third base. You know, they're, they're both guys who've been successful major league players. If you combine each of their best seasons, you got about a five and a half win player, <laughs> which is, that's no joke. And, you know, it, they just do it in a slightly different way. And, and I think you look around some of, you know, in, in the baseball world, you're not going to have an all-star solution at every position on the field or in the roster. And I think that is a, when there are no games being played and you think as a, as a, as a broader baseball community, Ah, they can go get such and such. Yeah, but then you're taking away from the advantage that it provides you in in versatility and flexibility and depth. I'm not mad at what the puddle said, but I heard something that worries me. What's that? That little that little uh, nervous laugh after Uh-oh. you combine them, <laughs> five and a half player. Yeah, but you can't. You can't do that. Them. Can't do that. That's not how baseball works, Jerry. Uh, <laughs> that yeah. I'm not as bullish on the third base situation as Jerry DePoto is. Mm-hmm. And I am, I get why Jerry would be, he's got to sell this team to everybody. He's got to, you know, pat himself on the back for the job that he did this off season. But I am very, I, I have a lot of reservations uh, <laughs> as to what could possibly happen at third base this season. Do I hope to be pleasantly surprised? Absolutely. I hope to be proven wrong every single day during this 162 mm-hmm. game marathon. But they have left themselves a lot of room for improvement, I think, at third base. I hope DePoto gets this right, and he is a genius. I'm always rooting for him. But, you know, this offseason, we're a bit skeptical about some things. But it's all good. That was Jerry DePoto, man. When we return, we're going to talk to Lofa Tatupu, man. Talk some football. Get back to the Seahawks. Things that we want to see. Things that they're good at. Got Mike McDonald, new D coordinator. Lots of questions for Lofa. That's coming up next. We got Curtis Rogers filling in for Stacey. I'm Michael Bumpus. This is the Bumpus Stacey Show.